So what about if uh, we chose the white pages, online white pages, and we decided we're going to randomly pray for a certain number of people. I just decided I wanted to pray for five people. Uh, and then after three weeks, the next three weeks, uh, I'm going to send them a card like this and say, I was praying for you for three weeks, and I just want to invite you to, to Easter. Just somebody I totally don't know. And then I thought, well, you know what, why don't we just choose, and so I'm extending my, uh, my internal processing with you, you know, just processing aloud with the whole church. So I thought, well, who am I going to target? So I said, well, my last name is Davis, so uh, if you go on white pages and you Google uh, your last name, I put mine Davis, and then I found a whole slew of Davises, and I, if you go through the, the section there, you can also look at the address. Uh, you know, this is the free white pages, and I wrote down uh, five different people with the name Davis living in Hopkinson, and the address, and uh, so I'm going to pray for them from now until uh, really Palm Sunday, and then mail them an invite to church. So I thought, well, maybe you'd like to do that. Uh, maybe you'd like to do it for your own town, but or if you want to choose somebody in Hopkinson, and if you've got an unusual last name and you can't find, it, find anybody uh, with your last name, then I'm sure there'll be somebody near your name that you can find. It's not rocket science, it's just an idea. So if that's appealing to you, choose three names, choose five names, pray for them for two weeks, write them a personal note, mail it to them, and invite them to church. Sound good? All right. <laughs> I'm sure that was ec ecstatic response. <laughs> People are still like, it's so random. Yes, it is random. <laughs> but God's love is random. It loves everybody. All right, I have got the most uh, sizzling title today for my message. It's Lent, Repent. Okay, that's another one of those riveting things. I can see you're totally into it. It's Lent, and so let's repent. You know, but when I just use the word Lent, I, a whole bunch of things come to mind for me. And one is, what is it actually what is actually Lent, and how did we come up with what to do in Lent, and what are we supposed to do in Lent, and who says that we're supposed to do that in Lent? You know, then if you start Googling, it really gets interesting. If you Google Lent, and then you start saying, well, what am I supposed to do in Lent? Oh my gosh, it, it feels very um, restrictive very quickly, because what you'll come up with is things like, you cannot eat meat in Lent, and then someone else will say, you absolutely cannot eat meat on Fridays, uh, and then, you know, somebody else will say, well, it's a sin if you do, and I mean, you just start seeing all these restrictive things, and there's not a whole lot of Bible verses being quoted, but there's a lot of opinions uh, being quoted, and so, you know, I thought, well, uh, let's dig into this a little bit, because it is a tradition in the church, or let me say it this way, uh, Easter is like a big deal. So how do you get ready for Easter? So it's been a tradition in church history throughout since the beginning that somehow or other we would do something to prepare ourselves for Easter. And what is it that we're going to actually do to prepare ourselves for Easter? And how do we go about that? Now, uh, what we also quickly realize is that there are traditions, and people have got these traditions, and sometimes the traditions, like any tradition, can be helpful, and sometimes traditions can be like 
uh, I don't know, throttling. I mean, it just takes all the energy and the joy and the life out of it. It just seems like, okay, there's a whole bunch of rules and regulations and blah, 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 and, and uh, how does this actually give me life? So, obviously, uh, the, the Catholic Church is a major influence in uh, the, the idea of Lent because it's a, a, you know, a, a church which has said these are the customs for the Catholic people to follow. And uh, what I did find that was helpful was if you pare away people's opinion and you actually go to the official Catholic uh, pages on describing Lent, uh, they, it's a lot more, um, it's actually a lot more graceful and a lot more grace-filled uh, as to what is being asked or expected. Let me just uh, read to you from the Catholic teachings about the law of fasting. So it says, The law of fasting requires a Catholic from the 18th birthday, this is Canon 97, to the 59th birthday, i.e. beginning of the 60th year, a year which will be completed on the 60th birthday, to reduce the amount of food eaten from normal. The church defines that this, defines this as one meal a day or two smaller meals, which if added together would not exceed the main meal in quantity. Such fasting is obligatory on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. The fast is broken by eating between meals and by drinks which could be considered food. Milkshakes, but not milk. This is straight out of there. Alcoholic beverages do not break the fast, however. They seem to be contrary to the spirit of doing penance. Well, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, like, um, there's something... There's something missing here for me. It's like, I'm not feeling like inspired. I'm feeling like, okay, he has a whole bunch of rules to, to, to follow. But at the same time, I get what the, the Catholic Church is trying to do. It's saying, listen, we're trying to tell our people what you need to do to prepare you for Easter. And, and so if you're in the Catholic tradition, I suppose it's normal to be told what to do from the Pope because that's the authority that you're under. But for, um, for Protestants, it's sort of the other extreme. It's like, well, Protestants say, well, unless it's in the Bible, we're not going to do it. Or if the Bible prescribes it, then we will do it. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And so many uh, Protestants would say, look, we don't do Lent uh, because that's not like in the Bible as such. And so then you've got the other uh, end of the spectrum. It's like, wait, tomorrow is Easter. How did that happen? And you're totally unprepared. And it's like, oh. Easter just happened. So I do think there is some help if we set aside a little season and say, look, we're going to build up and think about and get ready for Easter. But as soon as you start prescribing a whole bunch of laws and regulations, then people generally tend to recoil and say, no, I, I don't really want to do this. Now, again, even the, the, the sort of backdrop for, for Lent uh, in the Catholic tradition would be saying, okay, we're going to follow Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. That was a time of uh, repenting, uh, a time of fasting, I should say, mostly. But, you know, chronologically, it, you'd say, well, how is that exactly like before Easter? I mean, that was right after Jesus would just, you know, I mean, it's the beginning of his ministry, just being baptized. So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not a direct, uh, direct connection, even though that would be the backdrop. But on the other hand, I do think we should be looking at, okay, how do we get ready for Easter? 
And uh, I love John the Baptist as he announces Jesus' public ministry. Now we're getting uh, sort of closer to Jesus' three years of uh, public ministry. And he says, repent, get ready, because now you've got to deal with Jesus and get your lives in order with God. So I think there is something to the idea of repenting and uh, getting connected with the Lord. You know, one of the things which it's easy as we look at uh, church, different types of churches and church tradition, is that we all want to uh, expound on the truth. And of course, you know, the criticism from Catholics towards Protestants is, well, why are there so many different denominations? I mean, you're like all like emphasizing the truth, but you all start another denomination just because you don't agree with somebody else in some sort of somewhat minor detail. And I think there's truth to that. Uh, so while we try and look at all our different traditions and how to do it, one of the prayers that Jesus prayed just before he was going to be crucified, as he was going into to the Garden of Gethsemane, was really a prayer which is being surprisingly misunderstood or people really have not put equal weight on this prayer. And that is this. Jesus says, I am praying, this is John chapter 17, 20 through 23. I, Jesus, am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Okay, in other words, like all churches, all believers. I pray they will all be one. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Okay, that's another prayer. I mean, that's another thought for us to just get hold of. Okay, it's not just do we have the edge on truth, but also can we say that throughout the different church families and the different ways that we go about it, can we experience some degree of unity in what we're doing? And I think where we do, where we do unify is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I want to just emphasize that, and I do want to say that as you know, a non-Catholic or Protestant denomination, we don't have like a uh, set uh, schedule or a ritual or a tradition of what we do to build up towards Easter. And, and honestly, I find that freeing, but it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. It means that we ask ourselves the question, how do we get ready for Easter? Now, I want to look at... Uh, a Jewish tradition, which actually, on the face of it, doesn't seem to have a whole lot of connection with Easter. And that is the Jewish tradition of Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day in the year in the Jewish calendar. You know, this day of repenting and fasting and getting right with God. Now, the reason that I uh, see uh, something that we can learn from this tradition for this period in time, is as follows. It's because God or the Jewish people are saying that this particular time period, these 10 days, which is the Jewish New Year, this just happens in normally end of September, October, not correlating with our Easter calendar, but it is correlating because it's the Jewish uh, way of saying, I need to get right with God. So what's going on here in, uh, in Yom Kippur it's a day where they put aside, and it's the day where they need to get right with God. But it's a day that's the most holy day in the calendar for this reason. Because the Jewish people believe that if they get right with God on Yom Kippur, then their names are written in the book of life 
for the next year. So you need to make sure that you are right with God. Now, there's two extremes from just like Jewish tradition. The two extremes would be like if you're so rotten, like there's just no use in even repenting. Okay, then just like give up. On the other hand, if you're like so perfect, then you don't really have to repent either because like you're so perfect. But then again, most people think, okay, I'm not really that perfect. I think there's a chance if I'm standing before God and he's judging me that he'll find something. Yes. And that's the idea. They're saying, you're going to be judged by God. So get ready because Yom Kippur is the time when you're going to be judged by God and how you're going to be doing. And so they go to a great length to be right with God and right with each other. Let's forgive people and let's be forgiven. Let's tie up all the loose ends. If you've done somebody in, go make good. Think about the whole past year. Uh, have you treated your employees right? Is there anything that you can do in any small detail that you need to get right so that when you stand before God's judgment, God will forgive you? Okay, so there's an intentionality behind this day. And then it's the sense of, okay, now your security in God is locked for a whole year until you do it again the following year. And so Isaiah 55 6 and 7 says this, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that we may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. So there's this sense then that there is a time in the calendar year where we do need to turn to God, we do need to get right with God, and we need to be uh, connected with the Lord. Now, of course, from a Christian standpoint, let's just talk about this whole idea of salvation, or if you, if you are saved, how does this impact you? So the first idea would be this. If you don't know Jesus, the idea is get to know Jesus, because when we stand before the Lord, when we ask God into our lives the first time, there is something which is like so powerful when you think of it in the backdrop of this Jewish uh, passage. When we receive the Lord, when we ask Jesus into our lives, we need to say, God, I believe in you. God, I repent. I'm apologizing for all the things I've done that have offended you. But God, will you forgive me? And I want to receive you. And the amazing scandal of Easter is that God says when we do that, he will forgive us. Like all our past sin, all our current sin, all our future sin. And God is like counting it as done. And this just seems like ridiculously easy. I mean, it just seems like really, that's all there is to it. And God is saying, yes, it is ridiculously easy. But it's also ridiculously easy because of what Jesus has done, not what we have done. And the reason this is so helpful to process over this time period is that what God has done, what Jesus has done on the cross, is a complete work. He's not asking us to add to it. Like if we can just grovel a little bit, you know, like can we just like fast really hard in this time period or, or do some penance stuff or do something like flagellate ourselves or, you know, just work hard. At... God is saying, look, you can't work hard enough. Jesus is saying, I've done all the hard work. What you need to do is receive. You need to receive what Jesus has already done. It's Jesus that's done all the hard work. So if you are a believer, 
the exciting part is, okay, so how do we maintain this relationship that we have with Jesus? And uh, how can we just not take for granted this incredible uh, blessing that we have as God's child? And so our motive becomes a little different. It's not, we're not motiv motivated because we're trying to get good or get better at it. We're motivated at how do we maintain our relationship with God because we're experiencing God's love in our lives and we desire to want to please God. So if we look at what Jesus gave us as the Lord's Prayer, there's a little section in there talking about forgiveness and forgiving others. I want to just, uh, instead of reading, you know, the Lord's Prayer, as we know it, as we memorize, is the old New King James Version. And now, of course, we've got newer translations. And this is the classic problem with translations. So when you read the Lord's Prayer in any other translation other than the King James Version, it just sounds wrong because you've memorized in, in the King James. I mean, that's just Bible translators now battle with this. Okay, so what do I do? Do I put it in current format or past format? I'm reading it to you today from the New Living Translation. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 18. Jesus says this, Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Okay, now here's the part which I want you to focus on. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Okay, okay, let's just pause there for a second. This is really, I know when we say the Lord's Prayer, we just you know, say it rotely and go right by, but and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Okay. Lent. It's time to repent. Like, let's pause for a season here, and can we forgive anybody and everybody that has hurt us, offended us in some way, shape, or form? Because it seems like Jesus is saying it's actually imperative that we do so. Because what we're really desiring is that God forgive us. And we're not so great at forgiving others. But God is saying, Jesus is telling us, in verse 12, and forgive us our sins, God forgive us, as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Which sort of means, or Jesus is saying very directly, God will forgive us if we forgive others. So there's a mandate for us that we forgive. And we are active in this. And we think about who has hurt us, who has offended us. And we forgive them. And we release that. Then God will help us out and he will forgive us. Verse 14 becomes even more clear. This is, well, let me finish the Lord's Prayer, which is verse 13. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. But verse 14 starts with if. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This really is, for me, the heart of Lent. It's like we really need to take seriously this idea of thinking, who has offended us? And can we re just release them? Can we not take that on? And can we get rid of those uh, that weight or that pain or that burden? 
Our natural response is, no, I want the person to come and say sorry to me. And I want that person to really, you know, just grovel and tell them they would need to express how they've hurt me. Then I'll forgive them. And what God is telling us to do is that we need to forgive them, whether they ever even know that we've forgiven them or not. Uh, our obligation is to think of anybody that's hurt us and to forgive them. The mysterious, wonderful mystery of God is as we do that, we experience a blessing and a release of, of trouble and of burden, irrespective if that person actually ever says, uh, ever admits how they've hurt you, uh, just by us forgiving them. So how do we get right with God? We, we think about the things that we've done that have offended God. We think about the things that we've done which uh, we need to repent of. And uh, when you run out of ideas of like, I don't really know what I've done. I can't really think of anything so grave that I need to repent of. Good idea to just ask your spouse, you know, got any ideas? Honey, any, any, anything come to mind? Like, you'll find it's a pretty long list. All of a sudden appears. It's like, yeah, healthy. This uh, Lord's Prayer continues, and I'm going to just read this little next couple of verses here because it moves into fasting so you got the lord's prayer well let me just read uh, 14 again if you forgive those who sin against you your heavenly father will forgive you but if you refuse to forgive others your father will not forgive your sins and when you fast don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do for they try to look miserable and disheveled and so people will admire them for their fasting i tell you the truth that is the only reward they will get, ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, everything will reward you. Yeah, so repenting, fasting, it doesn't have to be prescribed. You know, there's no verse in the Bible saying you can't eat meat on Friday and you have to eat fish, but if that's what you want to do, do it. Uh, I think it's better if we would just take these verses and be serious about them and say, how do we forgive? And how do you want us to fast? What should we fast? When should we fast? What does that look like? And uh, let the Lord uh, really just move in us and direct us as to what it is that we should be doing. Uh, sometimes it's really great when we just do, you know, all church uh, fast and we all get together and, and we just do it together. But almost every time I call a fast, I can guarantee you most people's faces, oh no, that's okay for you, Rob, but you know, I'm not really into it at this particular time. Later, we'll do it another time. I mean, it's just like, if I say, let's have a party, it's like, yeah, let's have a party. We're always ready to party. But you know, when it comes to fasting, it's like, oh, that's tough because it is tough. What I am saying is this, you'll get as much or as little out of the Lord as you want. So the more you put in, in terms of prayer and reflection and trying to be right with the Lord, the more you get out. But the last thing in the world you need is somebody like me telling you what you need to do. Because if you like me, you'll just recoil. You'll say, I don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> I want the Lord to tell me what to do. And uh, that typically goes a lot better when you have the Lord tell you what to do and not me tell you what to do. So I want to finish this this way. Uh, I want to ask you, so what is your motivation for doing Lent? Uh, I mean, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is your motivation for doing Lent? Or what is it 
that you're going to be doing for Lent, if anything, uh, the first way would be, the first thought would be, what motivates you to do Lent the way you do it is, it's just the way I've always done it. It's tradition. This is what warriors do. What we, what we always do, whatever that might be. And so my question to you then would be, well, is it helpful? Is it working? If it is, do it. If it's not, then don't do it. Just doing tradition for the sake of tradition typically is a little dead. The other question you might want to ask yourself, are you trying to impress God so that God would feel obligated to forgive you? I mean, I know I'm saying it obviously in a way that would be like, eh, no. But, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're fasting or you're trying to do something, but really what's going on in the back of your mind is, I'm just, like, going to really impress God. Let me just suggest that you're not. It's like, it doesn't matter how much you do or how great it is that you do, you're just not going to really impress God. It's just sort of the, that's sort of the wrong motive. But let me suggest that this would be the right motive. The right motive is this. Jesus, I've experienced your love. I've experienced you moving in my life. I am so grateful for that. How do you want me to respond back to you? How can I keep my love for you and your involvement in my life real, active, and vibrant? Because when we ask that question, I believe we can experience God's love in a freeing way. And then this time period building up towards Easter becomes freeing and, and enjoyable. And we say, God, okay, I, you know, where, whatever situation I found myself in life right now, what is it that you want me to do to get right with you? Lord Jesus, I just thank you that as we come to this incredible, important season in the church calendar, we, where we remember your crucifixion, what that means to us personally, and we look forward to your resurrection, and we see the things that you're doing in our lives that need your power, that we need help. Uh, in fact, many of the things we ask you, we realize are absolutely impossible for us to do on our own. And so, Lord, we just uh, put this season aside and we say, Lord, we want more of you. Uh, we want to hear your voice. We want to respond to what it is that you're saying that we should respond to. We want to enjoy the freedom that only you can give. And so, Lord, we just set the, the season aside and we say, Lord, speak to us, move in us, impart in us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.